Eyes peeled, everyone. It's time for the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. And welcome to the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. And it's a new host today. Stepping in for Lee is Raj here. And I'm joined by Ed. So it's only us two today because I think the rest of the guys have got draft fatigue and catching up on sleep and um, and in Kieran's case, still drinking whiskey because of because of uh, Matt Jones being the next Patriots quarterback. But I can I can guarantee that he's fit and well and all healthy. So all is good. So just me and Ed today. Um, Ed, how are you doing? How are you feeling after the draft? I've I'm feeling I'm feeling better like I've just taken a couple of days to just like relax a little bit think things through and just let the Bengals draft settle a little bit and it's aged I think relatively nicely I'm hoping by a couple of weeks time I won't be bothered by picking a kicker in the fifth round um so yeah I'm 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 just letting things wash over me a little bit so yeah I'm enjoying this enjoying it it's a nice Bengals draft the Bengals draft is like a good cheese or a good wine Gets better with age, right? Yeah, I hope so. Because most Bengals draft don't age very well whatsoever. With about three years, you're looking at a Tesco wine that's gone off. But I'm, I'm, I think there are things to be happy about. So that's all you can ask for. It's never, it's you're never going to have a perfect draft. I was pretty happy with it. Great, great, good. So um, today we're we're going to go through our winners and losers. So we both got some selections on who we think are the winners and losers some surprises in there which may shock shock you guys but um ed i'll let you kick away with a winner that you have and and whose draft really impressed you so this one comes with i think the biggest caveat of of all because it fully depends on them getting Aaron Rodgers. But I loved what the Broncos did. I think if you ignore the fact they passed on a corner uh, quarterback at nine, then it's really good. Pat Shatan is a great corner. I know they invest in free agency. We can never have enough quality corners. I think that was a great pick. Wasn't such a big fan of trading up for Javante Williams because I didn't really love the value of that. But Williams was my running back one. And they do need a guy... Um, to replace Philip Lindsay and eventually Melvin Gordon. So, I, you know, that was a good pick. Not such a big fan of the trade-up, but look, they had lots of draft capital anyway. Uh, I loved the Quinn minus pick. At the bottom end of day two, I thought he'd be gone, so that was a slam dunk for me. Baron Browning, again, a, a good guy to get at the end of day three, because I think with some refining, he can do it. He's got athletic testing. And then I loved the Jamar Johnson pick, personally. He was a guy I had a, a round two grade on. I see why everyone hates him because he, he does not want to tackle. But actually, I don't think the Broncos scheme is a bad fit for him in the fact that they do just let the safeties play deep and cover. And that's kind of his best skill set. So overall, I think the Broncos had a really, really good draft. I, I liked it down to Seth Williams and Jonathan Cooper on round six and seven. I, I just think it's they're nice players to get in that kind of range. So I think on the provision they get Aaron Rodgers and haven't just passed on Justin Fields for Drew Locke, I think it's a fabulous draft. I agree. I, well, I agree to the extent that the big caveat there is the quarterback. And we'll be looking at this five years down the line, probably, and seeing how Fields does at the Bears. And 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 the question is as well, do they have enough capital to even get Aaron Rodgers? Because Green Bay are going to be asking for a wheelbarrow of picks. And they what they can maximum offer two first-rounders, or was it three? It will be three, so they have to. Greenway will want to wait until uh, June first, I believe, because then they're able, then the cap is reduced, and I think from that point the Broncos would be able to offer their next three first round picks. So they'd have that, and then I would suppose the Patrick Satan would be a part of that because the cornerback is still a need for the Packers, even though they have Eric Stokes. So I assume he'd be part of it. Then you're probably trying to send Teddy Bridgewater over there. I don't know if you can be able to include him. I I guess you'd try at that point, or Drew Locke, try and send one of those guys over. I think they would have the necessary capital. I think it would be worth it because they have a roster that's ready to go. They just solved a couple of their main issues, right? For me, corner, quarterback, and center, right? Quinn Miners will probably be an upgrade on Lloyd Cushenberry, 
because he was he was not good last year whatsoever. I wasn't a big fan of him coming out of LSU personally. I didn't I, I didn't love him, and he had a really poor rookie season. So maybe Quinn Miners is ready to start day one. We we don't know. It's it's tough to know with a Division three guys never played centre, but he is an eventual upgrade there. You hit Patrick Satan, and then you've got this amazing roster full of really young, talented defensive weapons. You've got Cortland Sutton, Jerry Duji, Judy, KJ Hamler. Um, the offensive line looks pretty solid. You've got Javante Williams now. And you are in this lovely position where you can just say, you know what, screw the next three first-round picks because Aaron Rodgers would be worth that. So you can throw those three first-round picks and throw in a player or two. I think they would have the necessary draft capital. But at this point, I can't think of a team who would off- be able to offer more. Yeah, you're probably looking at... Uh, well, you probably look at AFC teams. So you may be looking at the Dolphins, maybe uh, who else has traded? The Lions, but they won't trade into division. Um, well, there's not many teams, really. The Eagles, but that's an NFC team. So you're looking at probably the Dolphins and, and potentially the Broncos as well. Um, They're probably in the race. But I know hindsight's a wonderful thing with, with when you're looking at grading teams and, and seeing how they've done. But Obviously, with the news yesterday that Jawan James has done his Achilles and out for the season, and, and that's the right tackle spot, again, uh, could be an issue for the Broncos. Obviously, like I've said, you look at this in hindsight, but maybe getting a Cosme or an Eichenberg or a Jenkins at, instead of a Javonte Williams may now have been the wise pick because Jawan James has been injured for the last three seasons now since he moved over from Miami. So... That might be the question mark maybe going into the season. What do you think? Yeah, that's a really good point because I yeah, I like Juwan James bar the injuries, and that's always been the been the thing, isn't it? And yeah, that's a really good point because the Broncos offensive line really took a big step this year from it being a below average unit, I'd say. Uh and you you kind of even though you've had that job, you still want to invest. And it, it is a lovely thing, Heinzer, obviously, but maybe you don't trade up to get Javonte Williams, you take a running back on day three uh, and you hit a Samuel Cosme or whatever, it would have made a lot more sense. I mean, I think there are guys out there that you could get, though. I mean, Russell Akung, Akung is, still a, is still a free agent, I believe, and that would be you know a guy you could potentially slot into that right tackle slot. So there are still guys out there. So, yeah, in hindsight, yes, but I, I think it's tough to criticise them for something that happens days after the draft when you have gone and got a guy in Javante Williams who clearly they loved and a lot of people loved. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. And and, and what we have to remember is there's going to be a lot of roster cuts this year because of the players returning from their their year off from COVID and and, and the the rosters were 53-man last year. So there's going to be a lot of cuts going on so there will be some tackle depth um available come june july time so yeah but all in all i can see exactly where with the with the asterisks with the quarterback the broncos definitely drafted some high-end players um in 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 the draft so yeah no i can see exactly where you're coming from um i'll go on to my winner now so i think a team that absolutely smashed it out of the park considering who they acquired during the off season was the panthers so what the Panthers have done is they basically said, right, we're going to really determine whether Sam Darnold is the man. So not go halfway house, like obviously the Jets didn't give him the weapons, but I saw firsthand in the AFCs that Darnold just didn't seem like the guy. So what the Panthers are hoping is, is going to be a Ryan Tannehill mark two. And with their draft, they have given him every single opportunity to prove whether he is that guy, because if he's not that guy, they're not taking up the fifth-year option and they can just dispose of him and just get a new quarterback next year, whether that be Deshaun Watson, whether that be somewhere else, who knows. But they've given Sam Donald every single possible opportunity to be the guy next year. Now, if we go through the draft, one of their biggest leads was corner, and for me, they got the best corner in the draft from JC Horn. Um, and then you've got Terrence Marshall in the second round, six foot three receiver that is a sort of end zone target that the Donald's never really had in New York. And then you pair him with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and they go and get Shai Smith in the sixth round as well. Um, that is some serious weapons for him to throw to. Um, and then they've got Brady Christensen, who I love as a tackle. That, that, that should keep him upright. 
um, left tackle was one of their big positions of, of need. And so that, that made a lot of sense. And to get Deontay Brown as well in the sixth round, um, just a big unit of a guy, not the most agile and, and, and obviously didn't have the greatest of senior bowls, but he's just a big body that is just very difficult to get around. And picking a guy up that, that late in the draft just makes total sense. And then you get an, an, a, another few defensive uh, players such as Davion Nixon and Keith Taylor. I really like Keith Taylor. I had him going in the third round. So to get him as late as they did as a, as a, a press man corner opposite JC Horn, if he, if he performs the level that I think he can, that's your cornerback one and cornerback two, replacing obviously James Bradbury from last year. Um, they had a very, very good draft and they, they got running back depth as well in Tuba Hubbard. So they have three good running backs in that stable. And if, if McCaffrey does go down again, then they have, a good stable to, to rely on going forward. I just think this is really impressive draft from Matt Rule. And obviously it all depends how well Sam Darnold does, but you can't say that you haven't done it without the one for trying. And I think with the weapons they've got, with the protection they've got, and by improving that defense as well, I think it's a very, very solid draft from the Panthers. I would have still taken Justin Fields at eight. I just, I think that was that was the pick for me. And I think beyond the number eight pick, I really like this draft. I have my issues with J.C. Horn. I thought eight was a bit rich for him. And I, I've said this, I think J.C. Horn, he has his problems in zone coverage. And so finding the right fit for him is very important. And the Panthers are one of the teams who played the most zone coverage last year. They've had a ton of zone coverage. And that's where I think J.C. Horn looks a little bit weak. So... I worry that one a bit about scheme fit. They're probably, I mean, you're hoping in this situation, they're saying, okay, we've got this gun man on man corner. We're going to start playing a ton of man coverage. And that's a good idea. I think in a division where you've got the bucks with an array of talent, Kyle Pitts is there suddenly. Um, So I, I, with the caveat of them changing their defensive system, that could be good, but if they continue playing zone, I worry a little bit. And then, I still worry a bit just about not taking Justin Fields because I know you got Sam Darnold, but Justin Fields was right there. And from what we've seen of Sam Darnold, we we know he isn't going to be this elite guy probably because he hasn't shown us that. And I just think that on balance, you you look at Justin Fields and you say, okay, well he's going to be he. From what we've seen, he he proposes to be a better player. So for me, that was an opportunity missed. And I kind of felt that they went for Sam Donald because they panicked about a quarterback not being there at eight. And then there was one. So take two swings. But beyond that, I agree. I loved it. Terrace Marshall, for me, at the bottom of round two, I guess there were some injury issues there. That was a really good pick. Tommy Tremble, personal favourite of mine. I thought that was brilliant. I mean, Joe Brady's going to use him so, so well. Davion Nixon, the fifth. Great. And... One my, my biggest issue actually with, with the Panthers this offseason was the way they attacked the guard position. I think they brought in Pat Elfline and uh, another guy, I can't remember his name, but I remember specifically because they they were both the, they were the two lowest ranked guards on PFF's free agency list, as in the guys who graded worse for PFF. And they were guys who, in regards to what you think of PFF, I've, I've watched these guys before, they were liabilities, I think especially Elfline. So I... I was kind of hoping that they'd attack the guard position in the draft. And they kind of did with Deontay Brown in the sixth. And then they got the guy from Grambling State, David Moore. I don't know how much of him you've watched, Raj. But I I hadn't watched a ton of him, but I've seen a little bit. And I liked what they got there. So that was a nice thing for me. I wish they'd attacked it earlier on. But getting Deontay Brown and David Moore, who are two developmental guys there, is a little bonus as well. So... Overall, I, I quite liked what the Panthers did here. I think J.C. Horn is a bit of a boom or bust thing. It's either going to be brilliant for you or it could go a little bit wrong if you don't change a scheme for him. But in general, yeah, I think the Panthers had a good draft. But it, this is the thing. With all of the teams picking before the Bears who needed a quarterback, we will always talk about their drafts with this caveat of, oh, well, yeah, J.C. Horn, he could be a really good corner. But hey, Justin Fields in Chicago, by the way, ripping up so it does come with the caveat of a Sam Donald working out and b you not missing out on Justin Fields so yeah I do like this draft I did you just always going to view it that way I guess and that's going to be that's going to be the defining factor regardless of how well the rest of the picks go I think 
it's really interesting. I think for both those teams, the Broncos and the Panthers, I think they had their eyes on Deshaun Watson before all that stuff came out. I think they were primed to, to get him where they were picking in the draft at eight or nine. Um, and with the fact that Deshaun Watson gets control where he goes, Broncos with the weapons and, and Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator at Carolina, you could, you could have seen him plug and play in, in both those teams. Obviously, with what's happened now, we don't know whether he's going to get back in the league and obviously all these allegations, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's a big question mark. So they've had to sort of mix and muddle at quarterback this year. Um, but what they've both done is they've set their team up. So if Watson was back on the market because he's, he's finished at Houston, if Watson's back on the market, those two teams have made themselves even more sort of sellable to him for him to choose okay, I want to go to either the Panthers or the Broncos. Yeah, I think the Broncos are going to... I would assume they are feeling pretty confident they're getting one of Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson. Obviously, the Watson situation is a not one to get into, obviously, but there is a potential that one day in the future he will be available on the Broncos or a team that I think are desirable. And same with Aaron Rodgers. I know he's got Patrick Mahomes in the division, but, I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers. He does not care about that. That man isn't—he is not short of ego. He is happy to go to that division because the Broncos is in a place to compete. So, yeah, it will always come with that caveat. But the interesting one for me, and this is this is—I'll end with this on the Panthers and, and Broncos situation—is that they both have had Teddy Broadshaw. Obviously, the, the Panthers trade into the Broncos. I think looking back at this Panthers draft, we'll always there'll always be a forgotten aspect that if they hadn't brought in Teddy Bridgewater, Trevor Lawrence might be standing. A quarterback. That was a personnel decision that I think will 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 always be one of the worst of all time. I love Teddy. I think he, he's he showed at the Saints he could be a starter. But the Panthers were in a place where you have Matt Rule, who has made a name in college out of play uh, of joining programs, then being really really bad in the first year. Him keeping morale up, him driving recruitment from that despite poor performances and building a culture. They had a perfect opportunity here to, and it's tough to say this because you don't want to throw a, a guy like Will Greer into it and him go in 16 and ruin his confidence and stuff. But you could have gone and got a guy, you could have just stuck anyone at quarterback and, and not got Teddy and pay all that money for him. And you'd have been in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. So at the very least, you've got a Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or whatever it is. So I think that that's the another thing with Carolina, whether that whoever they do have ending up at quarterback, they could have kept Trevor Lawrence in Carolina. Mm-hmm. I think that will be something that's a, that people will forget about as the years go by. But that's not something that, that should be forgotten because Teddy effectively, I think, ruled them out of getting Trevor Lawrence because he was just too good, but not good enough to ever be their starter. So yeah. yeah. Completely agree there because I think what you don't want as a franchise is to be a middling eight and eighteen consistently year upon year because then you're just stuck in purgatory because the teams that are early in the draft get their choice of the quarterback and don't have to give away as much assets to, to move up. And then subsequently you you're just plugging holes rather than actually fixing the prime position in football, which is the quarterback. So it's um yeah, I I completely get where you're coming from there. It's a really interesting perspective on where you come there from Carolina. But the players that they picked, really, really good players, really good. They Really solid draft there. Um, Do you have another winner? Uh, I do have another winner, but this is just one, because I was going to say the CLC Hawks, um, because I think they got, and this is just one pick from them, but they only have three anyway. So I think the Seattle Seahawks have walked away from day three with the, I think the 204th pick in the sixth round with a starting left tackle in Stone Forsyth. I had a second round grade on him. I know a lot of people were huge on him. And this is a guy who is six foot nine. He has played four seasons to start, I believe, in the SEC. He faced the most, um, I think he's the third or fourth most pass blocking snaps in the SEC in this, in this draft. So he's got a lot of experience. He's battle-tested against the very best edge rushers in the country. He absolutely stonewalled, uh, a little pun for you, he stonewalled Aziz Ojolari of Georgia in that matchup. And this guy's six for eight, right? And Ojolari is seen as one of these, these amazing speed rushers at the side. Ojolari was my edge one. I know he got drops of injury, but he's still great. And 
Forsyth at six for eight had no issue just pushing him around the corner. And you look at what Alex Leatherwood did against Azido Jalari, and the, the differences are staggering. And Forsyth has his issues because he's so tall, he can't really be a destructive run blocker because he can't get underneath anybody and use leverage. And that is a that's a big problem that he will face in the NFL. But in terms of pass protectors, you're finding very few day two, day three range guys with that much experience and that much, um, you know, that much production in that realm. So I was shocked he fell to round six. Uh, and I know he probably was because he's not a great run blocker, but for Seattle there, there is a potential that he's a starting tackle year one. I don't see why it couldn't happen. At the very least, you've got a guy who will at some point contribute over his rookie contract. So also wasn't a big fan of Dwayne Eskridge pitch. I thought it was a little bit rich. Uh, and they got Kay Johnson as an undrafted free agent. So you now got kind of two very different slot guys. I almost think Kay Johnson's a better fit. But for that specific pick, at a time where Ross really wants, you know, improvements to the offensive line, that pick could be an absolute slam dunk out of nowhere. Yeah, no, I, I like I like your thinking there with obviously they have very few picks and you, you've always been high in Stone Forsyth and getting him in, in the sixth round looks like an absolute steal. The, the only thing I would say in what you brought up is I think Dwayne Eskridge is a massive reach. They don't need wide receiver. He's very similar to Ty Lockett in terms of uh, size and speed. And he's I think he's 23 or 24. Yeah, so he'll be 24 day one. Yeah, so, so he's, 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 he's quite old for a receiver as well. And I just think... They had so many needs, both on the offensive line and in defense as well, where they could have got a much better pick, in my opinion, where they were picking in the second than Dwayne Eskridge. I don't think they needed that kind of receiver. Um, so that would be my only thing about the Seahawks draft. But Stoneball side, completely agree. I think it's a slam dunk pick of the sixth. And getting, getting that value there just makes total sense. On Eskridge, and this is what really scares me is that because they only have three picks the Seahawks are in prime position to just take any offer and trade down but clearly they felt so strongly about Eskridge that they stuck at that pick that I think says a lot because I think someone would have been willing to trade up at that point there were still the likes of Creed Humphrey on the board um there were quarterbacks on the board they they could have gotten out of that pick I think so that that what that's the worry for me is that Eskridge is again 24 he's a speed guy but he's not He's quick, but he's not, you know, he's not lightning. Mm. Um, he's pretty fast, but he's 4-3 fast, not 4-2 fast. And that, you know, his production's against opponents for, you know, Western Michigan. Uh, and again, the, the big issue with this is you've got a one-trick guy, he's just speed, and he can't catch. He, he hasn't got hands. And that that really worries me, is I know you go for guys, you're like, oh, he could be the next Tyler Lockett. But actually, you need contrasting skill sets in your offense. And when a guy like Creed Humphrey was there and you're, you're dying for athletic pass protectors, even though you know they've got some depth there. You still think a guy like that would have been better value if you stuck where you are. So I agree. Did not like the Eskridge pick one bit. And may, maybe the K Johnson thing makes up for that a little bit. But yeah, it's tough to have a good draft when you have three picks. Uh, and any opportunity to trade down should be taken every opportunity. But yeah, apart, apart from the Eskridge pick, they did what they could. They got a starting left tackle and they've got maybe a guy who can be this little gadget thing for Russell Wilson, the offense. So, yeah, yeah. we'll see. Great. Good, good, good. And I'll go on to another winner. They've been sort of graded at the, at the height of most draft grades this year, but I do, I do want to give them a mention. That's the Minnesota Vikings. I thought, the first of all, the first round trade was absolutely home run, slam dunk, you name it, what a trade, to get their guy at 24, but by getting two third-round picks as a result of that trade back in the first round, and to get Christian Darasaw, absolutely slam dunk. And I like the fact that they went and got a quarterback with one of those third-round picks in Kellen Mond. I think a team should always draft a quarterback every single year because you can never have enough quarterbacks until you find your guy. And we know that you can get quarterbacks in the third round, fourth round. You've got someone like Dak Prescott, you've got Kirk Cousins, for example. Like, and I think that that Kirk Cousins contract has been a little bit of a noose around the Vikings' neck, considering they've had so much talent on both sides of the ball with Thielen and Diggs and Dalvin Cook on the offense. Then you've got, you had uh, Griffin and Daniel Hunter and 
and uh, Xavier Rhodes and you know, Kendricks and all those guys in the defense. So they had both sides of the ball. They were static. It was just the quarterback play just wasn't up to scratch. So it's a case of get Callum Mond, see how he is. If he isn't the guy, so what? At least you've gone and attempted to go and get your quarterback. And if it was not, then the guy with the Vikings is going to be rubbish going down the line. Um, to have Wyatt Davis fall to them in the third round as well, I think that is a, a great pick. That, that just solidifies that offensive line. At Ohio State, he was renowned for his run blocking, so he's just going to open up more and more lanes for Dalvin Cook to go from a monster season this year. Um, and to get one of Andy's guys, MS Smith-Marset, in the fifth round, I think that's great value. I think he, he fits the offense perfectly. You've got uh, sort of the bigger guys in Jefferson and, and Thielen, the, the, the sort of the possession receivers. And you've got Smith Marset that can be that vertical guy and sort of that speed. And yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great pick. They, they know how to pick wide receivers, Minnesota Vikings. They, they're, they're really good at that. And they got Stefan Diggs in the fifth round a few years ago. And look how that turned out. Absolutely fantastic pick. Um, and then just getting. Uh, Jaden uh, Twyman, the sixth. I think that's a, that's a really good value for that defensive tackle that I had going in the third round. I just think really, really solid draft. They're, they're always a team that seems to be drafting well. Um, the only the only area maybe they could have improved on is their pass rush. Maybe that's the, that's the only question mark I have against that draft. But Rick Spielman did another fantastic job with that draft. And again, you've, you know you have Kirk Cousins again for another year and if he's not the guy Minnesota Vikings now have their fans now now have a reason to shout for a quarterback to replace him in Callum Mond and it'd be great to see how he is yeah there's obviously a few deficiencies there in terms of what the tape we saw at Texas A&M but you don't know until you put him in a pro style offense you don't know until you get him in in with those weapons that he's got in terms of Thielen and Jefferson like you can't that is a great situation to be in for Callum Mond Absolutely. And the one thing I'd say about pass rush, because I'll go to that first, was that I feel like their trade down from 14 to 23 was with the idea that they'll miss out on an offensive tackle, but they'll get that edge rusher in this kind of 20s area where a lot of the guys like Pay or you know Phillips or Ajulari were meant to be, right? And obviously Christian Darasol was there, and I think that's who they'd have taken at 14. So the value was just way too good there. So that I, that I assume is why they... I decided um, decided to take Darrison. That's great value. Darrison was my my tackle too in this draft. I thought that was fabulous. So that was a really great pick. Uh, I like that, and I just think that was great value. And I'll come on to the Jets other side of the Jets trade on that in a minute because I, I wasn't a big fan of that. But yeah, Kellermond, good pick. I think he's one of those guys on day two where you're like, well. He's got loads of experience starting for a good program. And actually, whilst there are deficiencies within his game, the Texas A&M supporting cast was dreadful. He barely had any receivers to go to. He had one really good tight end, or I think comes out next year, that I watched the Cullen Monte. I was like, hey, he's a guy. But he had barely anything to work with, showed improvement year by year. And yeah, I think he's a guy to have a swing at on day three, because why not with Kirk Cousins under contract? It, it makes sense for me. Why Davis, great pick. They need to invest in the center of that offensive line. As Garrett Bradbury especially has been dreadful and they really needed to invest there. So I loved that pick. And I think in general, the Vikings did very well. Yeah, got my offensive tackle to it. Christian Darrell, so him falling to 23, by the way, was a crime. I cannot believe the Colts didn't take him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, great, great pick. And I will swivel this slightly to the Jets quickly because it, they kind of correspond these two drafts. And obviously the Jets came up to 14, traded with the Vikings to go and get Elijah Vera Tucker. And the fact that Wyatt Davis was still on the board with that pick that the Vikings took from the Jets, for me, kind of kind of said that I just didn't love that move the Jets. I really liked Elijah Barry Tucker. I thought he was a very good player. I see why they did it. But giving up those picks when you could have got, say, Wyatt Davis in the third, and it's not too much of a drop-off, especially a position that guard that isn't the most valuable, I think they'll regret that because you look at this suddenly, you're at 23, and Christian Darrell would have gone to the Vikings at 14, I think, so he's not going to slide to 23 for the Jets. But say they're going to get Greg Newsom, the corner, at, at 23 before the Browns get him, right? Then you have Elijah Moore. Then you're hitting Wyatt Davis in the third. And then you use that other third-round pick on a on the tackle. Suddenly, I think that that draft just looks a little bit more balanced. So 
yeah, whilst whilst I love the Vikings getting those picks, I think going down, getting Darrell getting a quarterback, that was great process. I didn't love the Jets side of that personally. I agree with you. I think I think you, when you're reaching for a guard, um, unless it's Quinton Nelson, I don't think you should reach that high to give it and to give two thirds in it for a team that has so many holes and especially in the secondary. They could have got a 23. They could have got a Greg Newsom. They could have got a Sante Samuel Jr. There was plenty of tackle depth, like you said, at round in round three. They 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 had the luxury of they do have a boatload of picks next year as well. But you would like to have seen them address this, the big holes that they have in their team more than to give away that much capital to jump up to 14. Um, there was a rumour that I was listening to on another podcast. Apparently, New England were very interested in Elijah Vera Tucker that made the Jets jump up to 14, and then the Patriots were left with Matt Jones, apparently. So that's an interesting uh, little subplot of the AFC Easter. I love that rumour because that just says a lot about what New England think of Matt Jones. <laughs> they take a guard over him as much as I like Elijah Vera Tucker. And New England famously only have about 100 players on their board. So their board, I, I always assume, must be very, very slim. And there must be like a big drop-off at times between who they have there. But I would, I would personally be shocked if New England took a guard instead of Matt Jones. I, I love Matt Jones, but I think the value of getting him at 15, when it's such a valuable position, take a swing. Because if hey, Elijah Veritaker might be a very good guard for you, but that swing at quarterback could be much more valuable. So, yeah, that, that was a weird one. Uh, if the, if New England have baited the Jets into doing this, that's some big brain stuff from Belichick. That would be, that would be brilliant. The, uh, sorry, Jets fans, but the Jets will always be the Jets until I see something different. So, uh, so, so who knows? Let's let's see if that works out. Um, right. So let's move on to losers, and it's really interesting in our pre-pod meeting. We had one loser each and we both came up with the same team and Ed hit it away and let's let's discuss it. This one's going to be controversial, but I think one of the biggest losers of the 2021 NFL draft was the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? They had a pick that you cannot mess up with Trevor Lawrence. So let's put that to the side, right? Trevor Lawrence, great pick, most complete quarterback prospect we've seen in years, fabulous. That pick should never be thought of as the Jaguars draft process, right? Because you have the rights to him. You just needed not to screw it up. And they didn't screw it up. Well, well done. But that doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean, it's not like, well, hey, great stuff, Meyer. You just under, you just discovered the next great NFL quarterback. Everyone knew what Lawrence was. So this draft was all about building a core around Lawrence. And for me, that was addressing, firstly, weapons, secondly, offensive line, thirdly, defense and most importantly defense i think because the jaguars have some weapons there they have james robinson the undrafted running back i believe he's the uh, i think he's the fourth undrafted running back uh, philip Lindsay was another one who had over a thousand yards he had a thousand four hundred yards i think last year on the ground hey that guy was very prolific and you've got you know wide receiver weapons there you got lewis Schnell from last year so that wasn't that wasn't really a priority, but yeah, hitting that left tackle to replace Cam Robinson, getting defensive guys and hitting more weapons was no, what they needed. They got a running back at twenty five, which was a dreadful decision. We talked about our last pod, so I won't harp on too much about it. But the value of hitting of hitting Travis Etienne there was very low. And we had a discussion on the last podcast as well about you were saying, look, if they were to get good prospects of 33 and 45, and they also have ETN there, hey, maybe we look at this draft in totality and say it was good. And I, I didn't 100% agree, but I saw your logic. But then what they did at 33 and 45 completely blew that out of the water. Tyson Campbell at 33, who I had a third-round grade on. I liked Tyson Campbell, but I think his short shuttle and three cone, that agility testing was really worrying for me. And the, the way that good wide receivers got after him – and Jalen Waddle, especially with that 90-yard reception. Josh Palmer, another guy who got after him. Didn't love that pick. Then you're taking Walker Little, an offensive tackle to Rose Cam Robbins, who hasn't played football in two years. I mean, I liked Walker Little. I think that the value of where they got him was fine. But for the position, for the team you are, the position you are, with so many holes to fill, that's a that's a pick that's a lot of risk when you could be getting a good contributor there. 
And then there were other picks I didn't like. Um, I liked Andre Sisko at 65. I know there are the injury issues there, but I think at, at the top of round three, I loved that because he was a second round safety for me. Jay Tefele was good in round four, but then this, you know, I, I didn't love the Luke Farrell pick. I He was not on my radar as a, a radar as a tight end. That's going to be a difference maker, but he seems just to be from a higher state. So, yeah, I think they just, they missed three opportunities there with ETN, Campbell and Little to get three difference makers for Lawrence. And that, that should always, that should always be considered bad because they didn't need a running back and they forced, they, they need that. And they spent a the first round pick on it. <laughs> They didn't really need a player like Tyson Campbell. They needed corner help, but they needed a better corner than Tyson Campbell. You know, I think Greg Newsom went a pick behind Etienne. And you missed out on Greg Newsom to take Tyson Campbell at 33. That's bad process. And just overall, I think they had all this capital and they wasted it. Completely agree. I just think, like, like you mentioned at the end of the last podcast that we did, it was if they got the plays in day two. And for me, they have bet rather than actually gone for surefire prospects and talents. And I look back at it and think, here's what you could have had. So based upon where they were picking, they could have had Asante Samuel Jr., Sam Cosme, Jeremiah Usakuromoa, and Paulson Adebo for those four picks. You look at that and compare to they've got a left tackle that hasn't played in two years. They've got Andre Sisco, who's done his Achilles and is coming back from serious injury. You've got Tyson Campbell, who isn't the most agile, like you said, struggled against the top SEC receivers. I, there was a game against, there was a game against uh, Florida State where Carl Pitts absolutely destroyed him. Um, I just, I, I don't understand it. You, this was your opportunity to really nail this draft, to actually win that division. Because the Texans are a dumpster fire. The Colts, you don't know what you're going to get with uh, Carson Wentz. And the Titans, like, you've, they've just lost their offensive coordinator. It's going to be really interesting to see how the offense functions this year. And, and their defense has really struggled last year. They've got no pass rush. They've got no secondary. Although they've, they've spent in free agency and they've spent a lot of capital in the draft as well to, to address those areas. Um, I just think that this was such a great opportunity for the Jags to really cement themselves to a potentially playoff team. And I think they flunked it. I really think they flunked it. And I think what what my worry now is that offensive line is not strong. If Walker Little goes down again, it is not strong. And I really don't want to see a situation like, you know, from the Bengals last year where it's a revolving door around each each tackle position. And Lawrence is running for his life. We just then that makes Lawrence pick completely worthless as well because basically you put your quarterback in a situation where you, sh- you shouldn't have put him in. What I would say with the Walker Little thing is, I am assuming this is a big assumption. They've put Cam Robinson on the franchise tag. I'm assuming that Walker Little isn't going to start a year one, and it would be tough for him to start year one. Obviously, because he hasn't played since he played Northwestern in 2019, first game of the season. Yeah, really good tape, really great tape. Yeah, loved it, loved it. He's been injured ever since and hasn't taken a live rep since. It is 2021. It will be two years since he took a live rep against the feared Northwestern pass rush, and he'll be playing in the NFL. So I would assume they're taking that pick saying, hey, Little has great upside, which he does, and we're going to let him develop for a year, work with him for a year, then Cam Robinson's out, Walker Little's in. So I presume that's the logic there, but it's still a huge risk, and you could have got a day one starter there on the offensive line in that position. And again, you'll say, is who we could have had. Right, so round one, they could have gone up to 21, 22 and got Christian Dinosaur, but let's assume they're not trading up, right? Greg Newsom, Christian Barmore, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, there are guys there who be such impact makers. And also, I think Iwusu Koromoa is everything that the Jags want, right? They want speed. They want impact makers. He's a guy like that. And it baffles me, some of these decisions. Because every pick, I was like, don't like that, don't like that, don't like that. I think they just, every single one of these picks just wasn't it. Like, they missed it every single time. And... Yeah, th- this this draft really concerns me because Trevor Lawrence can only do so much, right? I, I think Trevor Lawrence will make them a a an eight and eight team at the very least once they've had a couple of years, right? I feel that's what they'll always be with him at the realm. You don't, you're not going to be bad with Trevor Lawrence, and they have got weapons there, they have got building blocks there. 
But what they came away with, with the draft capital they possess, is so disappointing. This Etienne's not going to be a difference maker. And they were saying, hey, James Robinson, he's still our guy, right? He's going to be our, Etienne's going to be our third down back. Obviously, that's not going to happen. So just drafted the guy in the first round. He's going to take a lot of reps. But you've just replaced a perfectly good running back with a, a, a maybe not as good running back. We don't know. And all the other picks, I just think, were misses. So, yeah, this yeah. one is a really confusing one for me because you just have this opportunity to, you know, to really make this a building block of your franchise. It's like the Dolphins last year when they picked Tua and then they picked Austin Jackson and Noah Igbignigli. And I actually like what the Dolphins got out of that draft later on with the likes of Robert Hunt and whatever. But I was underwhelmed with Austin Jackson and, and the call they got and... Yeah, and I think that worked out well for them. But this time, I don't see the logic. Because Austin Jackson, loads of upsides as a left tackle. I, I was fine with him. I just think it was a bit risky. Kind of guess the same with Walk Little, but there was upside there. And then with, with Noah Abernigany, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but we'll just go with it. He's a guy with a lot of up, upside who could you know come in this year and next year to make an impact. So even then, I was, like, I was a bit underwhelmed with that. Actually, they came away with guys who can be really good. And I'm not sure the Jaguars did that. One shot I will make, one winner of the draft from the Jaguars, Jalen Camp, wide receiver, Georgia Tech. Great news for Georgia Tech. They are two years, two years without the triple option. I've just got a wide receiver drafted. So I think that's so big for that coaching staff. And, you know, I'm you know, obviously delighted for those guys because, you know, having a wide receiver draft at Georgia Tech after a couple of years is big. I was looking at his stats earlier. He had, he had in his first three years at the program, this guy had 19 receptions and, you know, obviously he had 12 receptions his first two years under the, under the triple option uh, guide. I'm so happy that a guy like that who went to a triple option school, who's finally had his opportunities opened up, uh, has come out. And that's a big win for Georgia Tech on the college football side of things that they can have a wide receiver drafted with this new coaching staff, getting rid of the triple option. I think that's big for the school. That's big for recruitment. So, Great stuff for them. Delighted with that pick. Delighted for Georgia Tech. But the Jaguars as a whole missed a big opportunity here. Yeah, certainly agree. Although, there you go, Jags fans. We've, we've put we've put a nice cherry on top and, and some positivity to your draft at the end there. So that's that's good. So, Georgia Tech out. That's the whole point of the NFL draft, right? Is to help recruitings for uh, ACC schools. So, exactly. Hey, there you go. We love the small school uh, sort of getting their name up in lights. It's, it's really important that these schools really do turn out good NFL players. So good. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to head, head off with another loser and then I'm going to leave it to you, Ed, at the end to go through your final loser, who I know you've been looking forward to talking about. But I'm going to talk about the Atlanta Falcons. Now, I mentioned it on our podcast uh, straight after the draft that I didn't like the Kyle Pitts pick, not because I don't like the player. I absolutely love the player, but it's the process. You know, you've got an aging quarterback. You've come out in the media and said, okay, we're in a win now mode, but you're not because your secondary is horrendous. You are going to get in shootouts every single game because your offense is high powered, but your defense is absolutely porous. And in that division, with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, now look at the Panthers' weapons with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrence Marshall, and then the Saints with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. And it's just, I, it is so stupid. Like, I'm sorry, Atlanta fans, but you should have traded down or you should have taken your quarterback. Taking a, a player at four that was a non-QB was just, I don't understand that decision at all. You know you've got your quarterback that's going to pretend you can get rid of him next year or the year after. Plan ahead for it. Accumulate the capital to maybe go and get a Deshaun Watson next year or maybe be in the running for Spencer Rattler or Bryce Young the year after that or, or Olongalele or, or Sam Howell, whoever whoever shines. Because last, last year we didn't think Zach Wilson was going to end up being number two pick. There's always one guy that just... They just rise up the boards and might be Desmond Ritter, might be Carson Strong. Carson Strong? Yeah. It, it just, there's, there's always one guy. But put yourself in that position to go and do it. Not maybe try and win now, but you, you haven't got the roster to win now. And I just don't understand the process. Yeah, Pitts, fantastic pick. Love Carl Pitts, my favourite non-quarterback in this draft. Richie Grant, average, 
not athletic enough. He's, he is a ball hawk, but he's not. He doesn't. He's not going to fix that secondary, and it was corners they really needed. Jalen Mayfield, nice third round pick, decent offensive tackle, but you're telling me with those three picks, suddenly the Falcons are going to go from a four win team to this is our run for the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, there's too many holes in that in that uh, roster. Arthur Smith may work wonders in the offense, but the defense is just it's just it's got porous and leaky written all over it. I just don't understand you picking four. You're not going to pick four again, as far as I'm concerned. Make the most of that situation. Yeah, what I would say though, I don't think this is a, this is a current Falcon situa- situation. I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily this regime's fault. I think it's Thomas, Thomas Dimitro's fault in a sense for creating a roster that isn't going to win in salary cap hell. They had to restructure Matt Ryan. They were forced to restructure Matt Ryan to get under the salary cap, and they're still having to share players, right? And the, the restructuring of Matt Ryan left them with these huge cap hits moving forward. It means they can't really get rid of him in the next year or two. And yeah, I that kind of that kind of, I think that meant that they couldn't really take a quarterback because there was no way of getting rid of Matt Ryan. And then you're sitting there for two years with this quarterback, and it's just controversy and words. It's just an admission that you're not going to win with Matt Ryan. And clearly, you know, that the current team think they think they can. So I wasn't necessarily against the whole, you know, a drafting a quarterback thing. Although I think Justin Fields would been great. Obviously, he's an Atlanta guy. I believe. Uh, I think he didn't. I don't know how far away he lived, but anyway, he, he's from Georgia. So that would have been pretty cool for, for Justin Fields and for the Falcons. But you're right. If they weren't going to take that leap, and if they are committed to Matt Ryan, they can't get rid of him, then trade down. Get draft capital in the future. Because they're going to need a quarterback at some point. And also, there wasn't great value for necessarily what they need. So, yeah, as much as I love Carl Pitts, and there is a potential you know, for him to be really good, He's not necessarily what this offense is not really the identity of that Tennessee Titans offense and that play action offense that I assume they're going to bring over from the Titans, right? Because he's just a very different player. He's obviously a great chess piece in that, and he's going to be a phenomenal player in the NFL. But the fact that you could have got a ton of picks by training down, letting someone come up. If there was someone to come up, this is another good point that we have to think about, actually, is that whether anyone was coming up, because obviously Fields didn't go to 11, Jones didn't go to 15, so maybe their hand was forced and they couldn't move down. But, yeah, so that as I that just came into my mind as I was complaining about the decision. But if that was the decision, then, yeah, I think I probably should have taken Fields. But, yeah, didn't like didn't necessarily love that, because as much as I love Pitts, I'm not sure how he works in Arthur Smith offense. Let's just hope Arthur Smith is clever enough to make it work. He, he may well be. But also the rest of the draft, I, I agree. I didn't like Jalen Mayfield. I, was, I wasn't big on him. I, I thought he was a day three guard, to be honest. I just, you know, everyone was talking about athleticism, athleticism, athleticism. And you look at his athletic numbers. They weren't very good. I didn't see enough from him to really say, yeah, th- th- this guy's going to be a success. Didn't love that. And I wasn't a Richie Grant guy either. I thought he was a liability for UCF. And to be fair, that UCF secondary was just a liability in general. I think everything about the UCF secondary was a liability. If we, if you've watched them, you'll know. But this was a 24-year-old guy who was, you know, should have been dominating, um, dominating the competition at his age and it, at his ability. But there were so many coverage just busts for him and for the entire team that he's supposed to be a leader of. And I know they were young. You know, it was a COVID year. That was a red flag for me. So, yeah, I didn't love this Falcons draft. And, hey, Pitts might, if they weren't able to move off of that number four spot, maybe Carl Pitts makes that offense great. They keep Julio. They have Calvin Ridley. They have Carl Pitts. Maybe they're unstoppable and they can run with the likes of the Bucks. And maybe that's the thinking. And maybe a few months down the line, we're looking like idiots for saying they should have traded out of it and got a corner. But I think the rest of that draft class might 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 prevent that being the case if you see what i mean because i just don't think they've got the caliber of contributors to make up for what might be a luxury pick in pits when you when you have when you have other needs but you know pits was a great player so if they didn't move out of four and i couldn't get rid of matt ryan i'm not so bothered by that but i see your point that if justin field is there and you're not contributors and you're not going to be contributors if you pick richie grant and jalen mayfield then yeah yeah i think i think one of the Bit to add for that is I think the Dolphins trade with the 49ers really 
skewed the market in terms of what other teams were expecting. And I think the Falcons were probably expecting a similar haul to what the Dolphins got. And I don't think they should have thought like that. I, I think they should have thought about, okay, where are, we, where are we now and where do we want to be? And if you traded back, say, with the Broncos at nine, you could have got Pat Sertain and you probably would have got a second round pick where you could have maybe got another corner away. You could have got a... You could have got a Terrence Marshall, for example, who's, who's, who's practically a tight end anyway. He's so tall and he's a red zone threat. So it, I just didn't like the process. First year GM, first year head coach. It just, nah, I, not for me. I was really cold on it. But let's see how it plays out. Yeah, well, okay. that, though, is you mentioned the Broncos, but then they didn't want a quarterback. So they weren't going to trade up. And then we're in this murky situation where, well, actually all the people that, that should have traded up didn't trade up. And that's more the the Broncos fault than the Falcons fault. So yeah, if they, I, I just, I have the feeling that they weren't getting calls because everyone thought, well, obviously Bengals aren't going to move. This is the Bengals and they're taking, they're taking chase or so all then Miami came up for a reason. It was definitely not a quarterback. And then the lions are the lions. They might trade out. So hey, it's tough. It's tough to ascertain exactly what, what the situation was there. So it's, it's a tough one. we Obviously, Pitts is a game changer, but the rest of the draft was also a problem. So, yeah, it's just such a difficult one to decipher as we don't know what's going behind the scenes. But I think the Falcons may live to regret not taking fields. Exactly. Okay, so the PS de Resistance, the final team that you want to discuss as a loser. I know you've been looking forward to this, Ed. Who is it you want to talk about? I want to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, baby. They had an absolutely disgusting draft. I actually quite liked what they did in day three. And they got Presley Harvin, who is my number one punter, the big boy out of, hey, Georgia Tech, ripping it up in this draft class. I loved what he brought to the table. Obviously, he's a dual threat punter with that arm. Uh, he's. I thought that was a great pick. Uh, I really love Presley Harvin. And then... There's a couple of smattering of guys that I liked on, on day three. I like Quincy Roche and Trey Nord. I thought they were decent ones. And then Kendrick Green, I thought that pick was good. But they really, really just missed the – they completely missed the points with their first two picks. They took Najee Harris, running back at Alabama, and Pat Fry moved tight end out of Penn State. I liked both of the prospects. But as we talked about the last podcast – it's it's not that I don't like the prospects, but the, the issue that they had, took in this draft was an issue of causality, right? They thought, right, we need to get this offense going and that offense needs a run game. So let's take a running back. Well, no, that's not how it works, right? Because the, the Steelers ranked 31st in run blocking last year, 32 teams, right? And Connor, James Connor's not particularly, he's not particularly bad running back. So the issue wasn't the running back. It was the offensive line. And running backs can have value. They can impact games. They can change games. They can be. But they're impacted heavily by what you put in front of them because they can't have success if the, running, if the run blocking's not there. And when you've lost Alejandro Villanueva to the Ravens, by the way, you've lost your 10-year center. You've lost Matt Filer. What is this offensive line? What, what is it? Where, where is it? What is Ben? What is Big Ben going to do with this? Because Big Ben's ridiculous inability to, to use play action, they they have to have a good run game, and they have to have a good offensive line. And Big Ben stifles them with that. The fact they took a running back at twenty four, which is a bad process anyway, was just awful on the matter of causality. And then Pat Fryer moved. I was like, well, hey, where you are, there are some still some tackles on the board. There are still some difference makers on the board. I like Pat Frymuth. I, I think that was good value for the pick, but it just missed what they need. They don't need Pat Frymuth. They need to hit this offensive line in this really deep offensive tackle class. That's what they needed to do. And they missed the opportunity. And as I, as I said in an article I, writ, I wrote about bad picks in this draft, which is up on the Full 10 Yards um, website now, I said that as a draft analyst, I thought it was really bad. But as a Bengals fan, I was laughing my head off. Because they completely miss the point of what they need. So yeah, I think that I think the Steelers are huge losers here. I like Kendrick Green; he could be a good centre for them. Maybe that's the next ten years starter. But Najee Harris and Pat Frymuth, the impact they can make on that offense is negligible, negligible. And one thing I'll finish off with is because I think this draft was bad, apart from a couple of bright spots with a punter in the centre, was that there were rumours going around that the Steelers really liked Justin Fields, right? And that if he slid to 24, they would be interested in him. 
but only if Najee Harris was off the board at that point. And you're just like, how bad can your process be to, to, to love Justin Fields? And apparently they had him as like the number one or number two quarterback in this class, right? And then think, hey, if he's there, well, considering if Najee Harris, the running back, is off the board, you know, what is your thinking here? Because Big Ben has, well, he only has one year left in the in the in the league, probably, but he should have been gone last year. And you're and you're gonna take this running back all you know, all costs. Don't do it. Whatever happens, Najee Harris is our guy. It's just awful team building. And with a division that is on the, the Ravens are always gonna be good, always gonna be good under that hardball regime. With Lamar Jackson, that's a really well-run organization. As much as I dislike as dislike saying it, it's a well-run organization. The Browns are a really well-run organization. Kevin Stefanski has got the scheme, he's got the culture there, and then Andrew Berry has got a great process. The Browns, we didn't mention them as winners because I think it's over-talked about. They were the big, I think one of the biggest winners here. They've got Greg Newsom, Jeremiah Wusu Karamoa consistently smashing this draft and having one of the best rosters in the league. And then the Bengals, look, the Bengals have Joe Burrow. So regardless of how bad that roster is, they're going to be a force in the coming years. So the Steelers here are just watching teams overtake them because the Ravens are great under Lamar Jackson. The Bengals are ascending with Joe Burrow. The Browns are really hot commodity now with a great draft. One of the biggest winners of this offseason. I thought they attacked it brilliantly. The Steelers are getting left behind. And it's because of the mentality they took in this draft. So out of any team, I mean, I thought the Texans had a shocker as well, but it was nowhere near as bad as what the Steelers did. Because this draft was not just a thing. It was, it was never going to be a, let's run it back with Big Ben for one year. Because that's never going to happen. I know you went 11-0, but you had a really easy schedule. And this year, I believe you have the toughest schedule. This was never about running back with Big Ben. This was about your mentality as an organization moving forward. This was a mission statement of saying what we find valuable in a moment where we have to completely restock this offense. And they failed it. In a top offensive tackle class with multiple great guys on the board at both 24 and where they picked Friar Muth, they picked a running back and a tight end. And a tight end is not particularly dynamic. So, yeah, I think out of every single team, this was the worst one. The Steelers are the biggest losers. Because not only did they not improve their offense whatsoever, because they didn't, issue, didn't you know, impact the biggest need, they also missed the ability to make a statement in an AFC North division that is ascending hard. So I think we can look at the Steelers as the new Bengals or Browns in that division. They're never going to be as bad with Mike Tomlin, but I don't, I, I don't see, a, I don't really see a path to them not being the fourth best team in that division in two years. Yeah, I completely agree with you on the Steelers. I just think that that it was so muddled their way of thinking, like you said, not building the offensive line, but getting weapons that need that offensive line to actually perform. I think uh, I said a few weeks ago in a podcast that, that there are Big Ben is like a like an old animal that just needs to be put down now. And I think that offensive line that they've got there is just that they're allowing Miles Garrett or or like a uh, Calais Campbell, just put him down, just put them out of the misery because they might as well just tank next year. Because this is the master plan, I think this is the master plan. They've seen the Browns got Jadavian Clowney and they're just going to like, okay, lads, we don't take a tackle, right? We let Garrett come one side, Clowney come the other side, smash Big Ben at exactly the same time and hope it, hope it puts him out of the game. But this is the worrying thing, actually, because there is a horrible scenario for the Steelers where actually that happens. Big Ben gets injured and he's like, I don't want to go out like that. I'm coming back for another year. <laughs> they let him come back for another year inexplicably. Because uh, this is the issue with a legend like that. They have to go out on their own on their own terms. And that's fine when you're Drew Brees and you're one of the greats and you, you know, the Saints had a legitimate shot with Brees there. The Steelers do not have a shot with Big Ben. And that's the problem. And there is trouble in the waters there because I don't know if you've seen the interview with Alejandro Villanueva today when he was announced of Baltimore Raven, but he had a little dig at Juju Smith-Schuster by saying that he prefers to be a team like Baltimore because they're, reliant, they're, like, they're dedicated to the run. They know how to sort of go, go in the trenches whereby when the Steelers, they're more interested in doing TikTok dances. So... There is something brewing in that camp that there is, there are sharks in the water there. And I just think, 
yeah, Mike Tomlin's got a hell of a job to to, to even make them a, a 500 team next year. And yeah, I completely agree with you on the Steelers. I just think it was their best pick for me was Quincy Roche, um, uh, the edge rusher out of Miami. I really like him. But apart from that, it was just, oh, yeah, I, I completely agree. It was, not, don't be surprised if Nigel Harris doesn't doesn't get to a thousand yards next year because he's got nothing. How, how can he run through any lanes when no lanes are being developed? It's, and the, and the tackles and the offensive line guys they've got, they're developmental. If, you, if you've got Big Ben back for another year, you're in win now mode. So why do you get developmental tackles that you don't have a clue how they're going to perform in the year one? Yeah, this is the thing. I think Najee Harris will put up numbers, but they won't be good numbers. They will be, you know, four yards a carry because they'll give him the ball again and again and again to establish a run. And he'll put up the numbers be, and everyone will be like, hey, great pick. But he won't make the impact that he could if you put him behind, behind a really good offensive line. So that's the big issue. It's interesting you mentioned this culture thing because that, that could be a big problem for Mike Tomlin. But... I kind of feel, and this is going to be a bit harsh, because I, don't, I guess I don't really know the situation very well, but I feel like Alejandro Villanueva might have been the culture problem for Pittsburgh. There was a fallout uh, when the players were staying uh, in the locker rooms for the National Anthem. They all agreed they were going to stay for the National Anthem to protest, and Villanueva went out to the tunnel so that he could stand for the National Anthem. And look, he's a former Army guy. He's been on tours. He believes that he, he, he wants to stand for the national anthem because of uh, you know because of because of that out of respect to the guys he served with and hey that's his personal right but the fact he snuck out without telling the team i think that was something that caused a rift there so you know that's i don't want to take his comments completely on board there but the steelers i think they did have an opportunity to, to re-envision what the Steelers' values are. The Steelers are a hard-hitting team. They're hard-working. And there's a place for Juju Smith-Schuster. Just because he makes TikTok videos doesn't mean he's not a hard-working guy. But it would have been a great opportunity for them to get a really you know hard-nosed tackle in this draft or a couple of guards who can more guys and really establish what they are. And I think... I think they missed it. So, yeah, there's something going on there because Big Ben can't last forever and there's going to be an ugly fallout. And this was an opportunity to maybe make that fallout slightly easier to have those guys in the trenches. Because the, the defensive, the front seven of their defense, one of the best in the league. And they had an opportunity to maybe invest to make that front five of their offense, again, one of the best in the league. And they missed it. Yeah, I expect a lot of 17, 13, 20, 17, like low scoring games with the Steelers. So, yeah. If they're on red zone next year, maybe one to veer away from. Sorry, Steelers fans, but <laughs> that, that's our analysis of, the, of, of your of your draft. So, I think that covers everyone that we wanted to talk about today. Um, Ed, do you want to plug your your social media and obviously your article that you released today as well? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Faradice. I wrote uh, an article about the worst picks I thought in the NFL draft and the bad process behind them. So I think it's important to kind of dive deep into what the actual process of picks are, why picks fail. And, you know, because bad teams who have bad process and draft badly can hit sometimes, get lucky. But teams with good process, like Chris Ballard at the Colts, they always seem to get good guys in because they have the right process. So I went through five picks in the draft. Najee Harris was one of them. I looked at why I thought the process was bad, not just the pick, but how it happened. So that's an interesting article that you might like. That's up on full 10 yards now. Uh, and yeah, I've got a couple more things coming in the next couple of weeks of my musings over the draft. And then hopefully get back to some college stuff and get away from all of the, all of this NFL draft stuff. Yeah, we're all looking forward to hopefully a full college season next season. We can really dive deeper into that. Obviously, there's a raft of... 2022 mock drafts coming out now so yeah I think let's take a a break (laughs) not now I've started watching film of Malik Willis from Liberty just because he's the next guy he's the next Joe Burrow he's fun he is fun he is a lot of fun but uh, yeah just uh, myself I'm at the Garch I've uh, sort of I've just taken a little breather I think after the draft it's just been um, catching up on sleep and then there will will be a few articles coming out uh, later in the piece um, with sort of my round by round viewpoint and who my favorite pick was and who my least favorite pick was um and just obviously looking a bit more in detail in the dolphins draft as well so i've been tweeting quite a bit on how i um, i love the Javon holland pick and i'm starting to warm to the hunter long pick and um 
yeah, have to accept that uh, even though I had Jalen Phillips off my board, is there's no denying he's a, he's a very good pass rusher. So um, yeah, let's see let's see where we are with that. But yeah, follow me on Twitter and um, yeah, interact and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, looking forward to um, getting more content out there. So um, thanks a lot, Ed, for joining joining me today, and um, we shall speak soon. Thanks for listening to the podcast. For all your football needs, check out our website, full10yards.com, or follow us on Twitter at full10yards CFB. And remember, keep those eyes peeled.